So for the last few weeks, uh, we have been studying through Luke's gospel, uh, especially as Jesus challenges the religiosity of his day. And last week, actually two weeks ago, we had baptism last week, um, Jesus was challenging big religion and setting us free from legalism to uh, real devotion to following him. This week has got me uh, challenged again as I was reading some more in Luke's gospel. I've been challenged and I'm loving it. Uh, it gets me thinking about what sort of disciple uh, tends to be drawn towards Jesus. Not only that, but what it takes to be his disciple, and even more poignant, what sort of leader Jesus chooses. Think about that for a second. What sort of leader does Jesus choose? Of all the people who were following him, which disciples does Jesus choose for his inner circle? Who does Jesus choose to go on to lead the church? Let's look at uh, Luke chapter 6. Verses uh, 12 to 17, we'll kind of dig into this a little bit. Now, I have to say that oftentimes, when it comes to the list of the disciples, I usually just read over that quickly. Actually, I don't think I've ever preached this passage before. Because I think, oh, it's just a list of names. Like, let's get on to the good stuff, right? And I started thinking about it this week to faithfully just go through each verse and begin uh, reflecting on who it is that Jesus has called. All right? So, uh, one of those days, Jesus went out to a mountainside to pray and spent the night praying to God. When morning came, he called his disciples to him and chose 12 of them, whom he also designated apostles. Now, Jesus is praying all night. It shows us some important things, not only about Jesus, but the type of leader that he chooses and how important choosing them was to him. First, it shows us how faithful Jesus is. He didn't rely on what he thought he needed. You know, I need this sort of guy for this sort of role, and I need this sort of person for that sort of role. It wasn't a group vote. It was all based on prayer. And it shows us how God chooses leaders, not by resume, not by democratic process, but through prayer. But through prayer and discernment and more prayer. How God's way gets different results. Human's method focuses on competencies and accomplishments. You know, what's your, um, what's your track record? What's your uh, pedigree? What sort of positions have you held that are similar to this? God's way requires faithfulness, lots of faithfulness. Luke makes it clear that these guys, uh, Jesus chose them out of a larger group. So this wasn't just the only 12 guys he had available. It says there was a group of disciples and Jesus chose these guys out of that group. He chose them on purpose. So let's take a look at this group, all right? First, it was Simon, who was named Peter. Now, um, as you read the Gospels, um, sorry, Peter's always the first name on the list. In all four Gospels, whenever it talks about, and especially the synoptics, uh, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, uh, whenever there's a list of disciples, Peter is always first. And Luke, is, Luke tells us here that Jesus nicknamed Simon, that's his, that's his given name, Simon nicknamed him Peter. Uh, in uh, Greek, it's Petros. Uh, it basically means um, rock or stone. And so I was thinking about it today, if we were to give a nickname to somebody in our group, we might call him Rocky. All right, so it's like a nickname, Peter. I know it's after 2,000 years, we begin to think of Peter more as like a given name. How many people do we know who are named Peter, after Peter? Um, so, but Jesus gave him this name, Stone, or Rocky, as a nickname. Now, Peter's a surprising first pick. As you read the Gospels, you see that Peter is, first of all, he's outspoken. He's a bit brash. He easily uh, gets ahead of himself and things. You also see that Peter is sometimes extremely insightful. He was actually the first disciple to call Jesus the Messiah, the Son of God, after he saw Jesus transfigured on the mountain. And sometimes Peter fails. 
Peter's also famous for denying Jesus three times when Jesus was on trial. Not just once did he deny him, but three times. But there are some other things we often forget about Peter. That we often kind of fall to the back of our mind. First of all, he's a commercial fisherman. And if Jesus is in his 30s calling these guys, it's my hunch that Peter is not, you know, up in his 40s and 50s, but actually probably a younger guy, maybe even in his 20s. So often we have this sort of image of Peter, saintly, pious, surprisingly white and dignified, when really this is probably more what Peter is like. At least uh, this is way more human, way more real. A young man grinning ear to ear with a catch of fish in his hands. But God chose Peter well because Peter went on to lead the church after Jesus ascended to heaven, wrote letters to the church, churches that are now part of the Bible, faithfully gave his life to follow Jesus and serve his church. I'd say Jesus chose Peter pretty well. There's also Peter's brother Andrew, um, probably in his 20s as well. He was probably more religious, or I shouldn't say probably. It seems like he was more religious than Jesus. He actually, uh, Andrew, if you read in John's Gospel, Andrew met Jesus as, because he was already a disciple of John the Baptist. And that's when he saw Jesus. And so he goes and gets his brother Simon and introduces him to Jesus. Next, then you have James, one of the Zebedee boys. He's also a commercial fisherman. So of the first three names that we've mentioned here, all three of them are fishermen. Um... One of the, James is one of the Zebedee boys, one of the sons of thunder, was one of their nicknames. Then you also have John, uh, his brother, also a son of thunder, a Zebedee boy. And the disciples whom Jesus seemed to take under, this John, Jesus seemed to take John under his wing. John went on to write the Gospel of John. He wrote uh, letters to the churches. He actually also wrote the book of Revelation. So John, Jesus worked with him and John became a great leader in the church. John was probably in his early 20s when he began following Jesus. Now, these first four uh, disciples that were listed, they're all commercial fishermen. Again, less like this and more like this. Real guys. Not theologically trained, not... Uh, well-trained, decades of Phariseeism, nothing like that, but commercial fishermen. Then there's, the list goes on. <clears throat> so this is our next group of four, the middle group, I call them. <clears throat> you have, there you have Philip, and also, too, you have Bartholomew. Uh, less is known about these two, but again, probably young men, probably in their 20s or so. Then it says here, next we have Matthew. Which, as John Ritchie mentioned a few weeks ago when he preached, um, also scholars think that Matthew and Levi, maybe Levi was his nickname or Matthew was his nickname, but in both Gospels, or in actually all three Gospels, are talking about this guy, Matthew uh, Levi, the tax collector. And it's funny how everybody in Jesus' group ha seems to have, or most of them seem to have a nickname. And if you've ever been a part of a team, nicknames come pretty quickly. I was just talking with some of my friends um, from. Uh, football in college, and they were talking about nicknames that we'd given each other. But I want to make this point again, that Matthew, uh, Levi, he is a tax collector. And for those of you who forgot what tax collecting was like in Jesus' day, basically a tax collector was hired by the, by the ruling party. So in, in Israel, it was the Romans who had oppressed, who had taken over their country, who was occupying their homeland. 
And Romans would hire local Jewish people to take money from their fellow Jews and then pay Rome the taxes. But here's how a, a tax collector made their living. So if they had to collect $100 in taxes from people, they would take 120 or 200 or 300 depending on what sort of person they were. And what they would sell to Rome what Rome acquired, and then they would keep the rest. And so their, health, or sorry, their wealth was a direct indication of how much money they had taken from their fellow countrymen. Tax collectors were viewed as money-grubbing sleazebags, as traitors. And Jesus prayed all night, conferring with God the Father and the Holy Spirit, and woke up the next morning and chose Matthew the tax collector as one of his twelve. The next we have Thomas. Again, most of what we know about Thomas comes from John's Gospel. But even there, it's very little. Thomas was known as demanding to see Jesus' hands, the hole in his hands, the hole in his side. Uh, said he wouldn't believe until he saw it for himself. Like a lot of skeptics of our time, he had a hard time taking faith, uh, taking uh, a hard time with faith. He wanted to be shown. He had to be proved to him. Thomas did see Jesus, his hands and his sides, and he did believe. And he actually exclaimed, "My Lord and my God!" One of the highest forms of praise in the Gospels. Tradition has it that Thomas went on as a missionary to Persia, possibly even to India. And so, too, a faithful follower. Now, these are the middle four. We know a bit less about them. Finally, we have the last group of four. Uh, I call them the extra info four. First is J J James, the son of Alphaeus, which is different than James, the Zebedee boy. So he had two Jacobs. Actually, sorry, two James. That's the Greek uh, spelling. Jacob was probably their um, uh, Jewish name. But uh, not much is known about James. Also, Simon the Zealot. Now, again, um, uh, we can only make a guess here by what is included in his name as Simon the Zealot. Zealot here probably refers to political zealot, modern-day freedom fighter if you asked one of his fellow Jews, domestic terrorist if you asked a Roman official. But think about the dynamic between Simon the Zealot and Matthew the tax collector. Apart from Jesus, they would have hated each other. Simon hating Matthew as a traitor, profiteering from his own people's suffering. And Matthew hating Simon, a local thug, constantly threatening his lavish lifestyle. And yet here they are together, following Jesus. Both chosen as lead disciples in his movement. It reminds me of how big the tent is for Jesus. How broad it is and who fits. Big enough, in our context, for liberals and conservatives, greens and NDP, we can all fit in when we begin following Jesus first. When we focus on Jesus, our political convictions take their rightful place as a secondary issue for us. Then we have Judas, the son of James, and we don't know much about him. And then lastly, Judas Iscariot, who become a traitor. After praying all night with the Father, the Lord of all creation, and the Holy Spirit, Jesus still called Judas to be one of the twelve leaders. I personally don't think it was a mistake. It's not that Jesus, you know, made his best decision and then was somehow surprised when Judas uh, betrayed him. But rather, so that scripture would be fulfilled, he was chosen. And that Jesus could carry out his ultimate act of sacrifice and salvation. As I've been reflecting on this unlikely group of leaders, I realize a few things about Jesus and about following him. First of all, 
after 2,000 years of trying to exalt Jesus, we actually distort our picture of Jesus and his disciples and what they were really like. In a desire to lift him high, we've actually exchanged um, disciples for saints. We stop thinking of these guys as commercial fishermen and we start thinking of them as St. Peter with a golden halo painted by his head. Otherworldly figures that seem to hover almost six inches above the ground as though they weren't even human anymore, never actually walking the ground like the rest of us. That sort of thinking, it damages the church. For those who can hold it together, we can start to feel pretty proud of ourselves, like we too could be disciples or apostles. The point where we start looking down on those, even people in our church who can't hold it together, which I've learned, if anything, I learned anything from this week, is that those are the, precisely the sort of people who Jesus turns into leaders. For those who struggle in life, this is the other side of the coin, they can begin to believe that they don't fit in. That worse, that no matter how hard they tried, that they could never fit, they could never belong. So they give up. Jesus came to heal the sick, not the healthy. He came to call, uh, not the self-righteous, but those who humbly realize their sin and want to be forgiven. This is who Jesus has come for. These 12 disciples are real people like us. They weren't religious professionals. They weren't Bible scholars. They weren't Pharisees of their day. They weren't even old saintly figures. They were mostly young guys, tax collectors and professional or um, um, commercial fishermen in their 20s. They were brash. Some were skeptical. They barely understood who Jesus was, and they rarely understood what he was doing. Even still, these are the sort of leaders that Jesus stayed up all night praying about. Then, I started wondering, what does this say to us? What does this say to you about the sort of disciples that Jesus chooses? For those of us who've been following Jesus for a while, I hope we're a bit scandalized by it. I hope we're a bit put off by this ragtag group that he chose. But then I hope that we are humbled. Humbled like I have been this last week. For all of our years of following Jesus, all of our Bible studies, and me, worst off of all, with my quote-unquote masters in divinity, <laughs> can't help but sort of chuckle as I say those words, I hope we are humbled. Sorry for the times that we have looked down on others, for one reason or another, who can't seem to get it together. I was thinking about this week that Jesus, as he is teaching in the Sermon on the Mount, he said, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of God. Those who realize their brokenness and their sinfulness and humbly come to God asking for his salvation. So for those of us who've been following a while, I hope this challenges us a bit. For those who find following Jesus hard, feel like you don't look the part, no matter how hard you try, I hope you feel encouraged this morning. Throughout the Gospels, Jesus continually calls people who need his help. This morning, we watched as he made a bunch of them into his chosen leaders of his church. I hope you're encouraged. I hope you realize that you belong. Whether you're fitting this image or failing miserably, you belong with Jesus that we all belong here with him. Not because we have it together, which is actually more usually just appearances anyways, but because Jesus died and called us all.
This is the good news this morning. As you see the sort of disciples that Jesus calls, the sort of people that he drew around him, and the sort of people that he prayed all night and chose as leaders, you begin to see how human they are, and that all of us have a place with him, that all of us can be his disciples. This is the good news this morning. Amen.